What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Podcast here with you, Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, theathletic.com slash dunk and holder. If you want to go jump on our podcasts, go read all of our written work, all of our colleagues' written work. There's tons to be absolutely consumed. So uh, theathletic.com slash dunk and holder. Or if you want to just jump on a podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods, uh, you can subscribe and jump on there. Well, Jeff, it has been certainly an interesting day, given that the schedule has come out. And of course, everyone is up, ready to go, ready to get back into the Superdome. We assume that there will actually be full crowds by the time we get to September for the Superdome. So that will be absolutely uh, great and yet normal, which will be a little bit abnormal since we haven't had that for a while. And as you pointed out, Jeff, we'll just throw this out there. Forget the schedule. You got the bye week. So why don't you let everyone know when the bye week is and so everyone could just have a joyous time. Well, you know, we always hear about how the NFL uh, has this conspiracy against the Saints and hates the Saints, right? I mean, how many times have we heard that before? And in this instance – I think they did the Saints and New Orleanians a favor by putting the bye week in week six, which is the second weekend of Jazz Fest. We know this year, because of COVID, uh, Jazz Fest is going to be in October. So now, New Orleanians, Saints fans, music lovers, you don't have that awful conflict of deciding, wait, do I want to go to the Saints game uh, this Sunday or go watch it on TV if it's on the road, or do I want to go to the last day of the two-week Jazz Fest and see trombone shorty close it down. You don't have to make that decision now because the Saints have their bye week on that weekend. And and I talked to somebody uh, involved in schedule making today who said the league will, will almost always try and recognize big events in town just for that reason. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Saints even put in a request, if they had a preference to have an open date that weekend because they knew it was going to be a huge uh, weekend with Jazz Fest. Well, also you look at, in week five, they're at Washington. So the NFL did them a solid as in, if you're not going to go to uh, Maryland, <laughs> FedEx field to go see the saints play Washington, you can go to jazz fest too. So I, I think yeah. both of those, that's all in turn. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go over the schedule here on our podcast. And then also look, Jeff had an awesome Q and a, with Jeff Ireland, of course, he heads the college scouting for the Saints and get some perspective on that. So we'll start here with the schedule. And Jeff, look, I mean, I think week one might be the most interesting game maybe in the entire league because we all know Aaron Rodgers is going to be the quarterback for the Saints. And when he's going to go against Jordan Love, it's going to be prime time watching. I mean, TV networks know that. I mean, hey, look, let's let's get crazy here, right? Yeah. I mean, did you immediately not think, what the heck is going on? I mean, the Packers, Saints, uh, we don't know who's going to be the quarterback in New Orleans. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be in Green Bay. And just a year ago, we watched those two 
teams hook up in the Superdome with two all-time greats, two future Hall of Famers, Rodgers and Breeze. And now Fox obviously plucked this game out. They put it on their prime spot on Sunday afternoon. It's the national window for them. So they obviously know it's an intriguing game. And uh, right off the bat, man, the Saints get to measure themselves against one of the best teams in the league. And it could be Jordan Love, you know, your favorite quarterback uh, leading the Packers. Uh, I just told you Aaron Rodgers is going to be the Saints quarterback. So it'll be Aaron Rodgers versus Jordan Love right now. Obviously, um, I'm kidding. But still, there's definitely that intrigue there. And I think that plays a part in it uh, because – Fox wants to see, all right, well, who's going to be the Saints starting quarterback to replace Drew Brees? And then who is going to actually be the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers? So it's certainly an intriguing matchup, and all eyes are going to be on it. And so it's uh, – it, and if Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback for the Packers, this is not an optimal matchup for the Saints. And – we're going into the post-Drew Brees era, and we've obviously seen a lot of roster chopping for the Saints. And we're not there yet to where they are at the 53-man roster. And I have a projection up uh, on The Athletic right now, and it is not a total pretty picture for the Saints, in my opinion. And so if Aaron Rodgers is there, I'm going to suspect the Saints will start 0-1. I mean, I'm I'm assuming you're going to be there knowing the Jeff Duncan that I've known for a long time. What about this one? What if the Packers trade Aaron Rodgers to the Saints for a package that includes Taysom Hill, and he starts for the Packers? That would be the biggest blessing that Saints fans could ever have. So, uh, look, I know you're doing this. Uh, we're all talking about this in jest because we, we don't expect that to actually happen. Uh, but, hey, Green Bay already had their chance with Taysom Hill. What do you think Sean Payton found Taysom Hill on Green Bay Packers tape? So, hey, right. Uh, this is no. a Taysom Hill revenge game, week one, if he gets to start. Oh, my goodness. Jeff, nice try. We're not going to yeah. fall for that. But well, anyway – I will say this, though, Larry. I mean, we were talking before we went on air on the pod. I think the first half of the schedule, just on paper, looks easier uh, just on paper with the teams the Saints are playing. But I think it's a little dicey because four of their first six games are on the road. And early in the year, uh, teams are at full strength. They've still got a lot of motivation. They've got optimism. It's before, uh, you know, the injuries and attrition starts piling up and, and the losses start piling up. I and mean, you play some of these teams late in the year, like when the Saints caught Atlanta last year. I mean, they're just kind of playing out the string. Whereas if you play a team early in the year when they've still got hope, uh, you're getting their best shot. So I think early in the year, playing four of those games on the road, sandwiched around their bye week, I think it's it, it's not as easy as it looks on paper. Well, you have to remember they are playing a first-place schedule, and they're probably not a first-place team anymore. So I think that's going to go against the Saints as a whole. But if you look at the first part of the schedule, and they do have the bye week in week six, and that's pretty familiar bye week. Saints have had that, I feel like, a, a few times in the last few years. But after you leave Green Bay and say if the Saints lose that, then they go on the road twice. Like you said, Carolina – and then at New England, we know Carolina is going to have a new quarterback uh, with Sam Darnold. We know New England 
is going to be a tricky matchup just because it's still Bill Belichick, but we don't know who's going to be playing quarterback there. Maybe it's Cam Newton. Maybe it's Mac Jones. So you get through that, and then you go to the New York Giants and then at Washington. So if you're a Saints fan and say you lose the first game to Green Bay, you would probably, I don't care who the quarterback is, you would probably expect to win those next four games. I think that's actually fair. I mean, I know Vegas right now has the Saints' favor over the Packers. I think it's more about the uncertainty of Aaron Rodgers. But if you look at at Carolina, they've won there. Uh, At New England against that team, they're they're not the same New England. Home against New York and then at Washington, that is not a daunting task. Am I losing my mind thinking that Four and one is actually viable. Yes, you've lost your freaking I've mind. I've lost my mind. Why? What are you talking about? It's not viable. Uh, Why is it not viable? Four and one. I mean, this that team last year started one and two, and it, and they they played two of their first three at, on the, at home, and one game on the road against the Raiders. I, I don't know. To me, to me, the Saints with their uncertainty at quarterback, we don't know what the, we're going to get with Jameis Winston and and or Taysom Hill. So to me, I think this team looks like a 500 team. Um, get some breaks, things go well. You go 10 and seven or something like that. Or the flip side, things go well, things go against you. Injuries, bad breaks. You're seven and 10. That's what that's what it feels like early on for me to make the prediction. I haven't gone through all the games, Jeff. So I'm just saying, look, what if they start hot and then they maybe fizzle out? So it sounds like. You're about to make a proclamation that if uh, the Saints don't go four and one to start, you're going to shave your head, just like I did uh, a few years ago when you and me started this uh, old Duncan Holder project. So is that that's what's going to happen? So if they go four and one, you're shaving your head. Say it. Correct. I will because there's really not much left for me to shave. Unlike you, with that beautiful mane that you have, I have very little. There, I mean, there wouldn't be even be you wouldn't even need trimmers. You just use like some scissors or something. A small, like, uh, maybe some nail clippers. You could go through my hair pretty quickly. Wow. But I will do that. Uh, they go what? four and one, I'll shave my head. Please, please, Completely. for the love of the little baby Jesus, let's have this happen. We need Completely. we need this to happen. Uh, we will do it. Yeah. But let me, let's just say this real quick, get, getting serious, though, on the schedule. Were you surprised five primetime games? That, that surprised me. It did surprise me. But I think also – the NFL understands that New Orleanians watch. So I think that's part of it. Uh, even though it's one of the smaller markets in the NFL, I do think that they know New Orleanians watch. New Orleanians will watch even if the Saints aren't playing. So if the Saints are playing, uh, I think there is uh, intrigue definitely early, even though we don't have a ton of primetime games early. You don't have the first one until, what, week seven? Right. So I think that's part of uh, the intrigue. But still, I I do think that the NFL realizes that New Orleans is a market that people watch. So I think that's probably part of it. Uh, Now, if they go six and 11, which is crazy, it's, it's such a weird thing to say. They go six and 11 this year. That probably falls off the map next year. But, well, and then if that's the case, they're probably trading for Russell Wilson, and then they get back on the map. But still, uh, I, I do think that it's 
And five is the max you could do originally. Obviously, they can flex games, so they can have more, and they can be flexed out of games if they're not doing well. But still, five, I do feel like, Jeff, is a lot. But you also have to think, every team has a Thursday night game. And I don't know how the other this schedule looks against the other ones, but still, they put the Saints on Thanksgiving. Uh, it's uh, so you and me are going to be gobbling turkey, you know, working together again. I mean, we've done this for how many years now at this rate on some sort of holiday, you and me together. Uh, but still, it's uh, I do think though that eyeballs, especially in this city, they go to the Saints when they're watching it. So I. In that sense, I think it actually makes sense. And what about this, Larry? The home games, of the eight home games, three are at noon, three are in prime time, two are in that 325 key Fox slot. And then the nine road games, you've got two prime time and seven noon games. So, like, the home games, I mean, you're only playing three out of eight at noon, the traditional, you know, slot that we've always had in the past. It's, that was interesting to me that uh, obviously – the staffs of the, uh, you know, network broadcast crews love to come to New Orleans. So they, they put three of them on prime time and Fox is coming here for the 325 spot a couple of times. Yeah. It's uh look, it, <laughs> maybe they're doing them a favor. I don't know, but still it, it is definitely uh, uh, five prime time games though is still a lot. Like I, 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 I didn't expect to see basically the max amount just because Saints don't have Drew Brees anymore, and we don't know where this team is going to go. Sure, they have star players still, but there is definitely uncertainty. But uh, uh, it's it's certainly something that it, the NFL still values the Saints. I don't care what people want to say, and you and me have heard it how many a billion years the NFL is against the Saints, this, that, and the other. Well, uh, they value them. I don't think there's any question about that. So it will be – Certainly something that will test the Saints, but also put them in prime viewing area. If they're not good, people are going to know. Not just coaches, the public will know. So I think that's something, I think it's interesting that maybe uh, not a lot of people are going to talk about. And I'll tell you a really interesting uh, stretch, or at least a sequence in the schedule. Saints come off that bye in week six. They're all hungover from Jazz Fest. They got to get their minds on a big game going out to Seattle, which we know historically has not been kind to the Saints. It's a Monday night football game. That place is loud, assuming they're going to have fans there. Uh, that's a Monday night game. Then they have to turn around from the West Coast and fly back to New Orleans uh, on a short week to prepare for their first encounter with their big rival in the NFC South, the Bucks and play them on a short week. Not going to be a lot of rest for the coaches. I think the last time they did this, Larry, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, it was when Teddy Bridgewater led the Saints to a win in Seattle. I think they ended up staying out there and, and sleeping as opposed to doing that all-night flight back that, that they usually do from the West Coast. I think their sleep coach they've got now recommended that, and I would imagine it being a night game in Seattle that they'll stay there and get up early and fly back, which makes it an even shorter week. Uh, if they don't get back, you know, until Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon sometime from that long trip. So I think that's an interesting sequence because the, the two teams you're playing, Tampa Bay and Seattle, obviously are both very good. Well, right. When you mentioned that, 
they played on a Sunday afternoon, not a Monday night. So I don't know if they could afford to do that, which is going to be a definitely a tough stretch. There's no question about that. But look, I look at it and say you go through week seven, uh, eight, nine, that's at Seattle, the Monday night, and then they come to Tampa and then they're at home again. Well, they, they come home to face Tampa and then they come home again against Atlanta. But I feel like the from weeks 10 through 12, I think that might be the toughest stretch that they have. They are at Tennessee, at Philadelphia, short week at home against Buffalo. And I think that is going to be because you, you pack in two road games, Tennessee, I assume they're going to be a good team. Philadelphia, we don't know, but obviously the Saints lost there last year. And then Buffalo, who I think is a Super Bowl contender in the AFC, and that's on a short week. So I think that, and you're wondering at that point, where are the Saints? You know, you, you don't think they're going to be 4-1 and one after five weeks. So, you know, you, you're probably assuming they're, what, uh, 500 at this point, since you're Debbie, you're, you're donkey downer, as you like to say. So well, I, I, that I, is... That is the middle of the season, and I think that is a uh, that is a crucial stretch where it's road at Tennessee, road at Philadelphia, home game on Thanksgiving against Buffalo. And I would throw in a week later, Dallas, because I think Dallas is going to have a rebound season. Dak Prescott's going to be back. Uh, you know, Mike McCarthy fixed the defensive coaching issues. They got a lot of talent there. I think Dallas could be a, 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 one of those surprise teams uh, let's face it, they're in a, a bad division. That's a winnable division. So I think Dallas could be a tough game too. So I agree with you. I think that's a very, very difficult stretch. And if the Saints can, you know, make hay in that time, they should have, should be in a good shape to get down the stretch where they start playing those, you know, those NFC South games. But overall, it's it's not like past years where I looked at the schedule and go, okay, these are gimme wins. Uh, you know, these are these. Are gonna, I, I just feel like every game almost looks like it could be a it could be a coin flip game. And, and it might be that kind of year. I mean, looking back at last year, doing a little research today, Larry, I mean, it, you know, this team, I think you and I noted it a couple of times last year. It wasn't like the 2011 Saints or even the 2018 Saints. I mean, they weren't blowing out teams. Uh, I know they, they had, a, had a cakewalk against the Vikings on Christmas Day. And there was one or two of those. But for the most part. That team last year, even though they won 12 games, there were a lot of cliffhangers and a lot of games they just had to grind out. Nothing really pretty. And now you've got less talent probably than you had a year ago. Uh, I think this thing could be another one of those years where, uh, you know, this team's uh, going to have to get breaks, have to play smart, can't turn it over. Got a different quarterback that doesn't have a history of that, by the way. And I just think, uh, you know, this thing could go either way. Jeff, it's not probably they have less talent. It's unequivocally they have less talent. There's no question. All you have to do is go look at my roster projection, and I'm putting guys on that are currently on the roster right now, and I'm saying I cannot believe I'm putting them on my 53-man roster. I, I, it was, I haven't said that in probably four years, but it's funny because you know how I do basically every offseason I will put together the – top 20 Saints players. That's what I do leading up to training camp. And these past few years, I've had to leave people off that I thought would normally make it. There, There's no way. At Once I hit about 12, I'm going to have trouble. I don't know who these, like, which players are going to be there in terms of talent. 
in terms of starting. And I'm looking at the schedule right now. And you're asking me to look for gimme games. I'm not pausing just for uh, dramatic effect. I'm scanning the ro- uh, the schedule. Maybe the Jets, the Jets game. I don't know. Way I'm down not even list. putting that there. I mean, they're at the Jets. I've seen them go to New York and play the Jets. And I remember Chris Ivory running all over them when they were actually a good team. So this is strange. I don't see – I maybe the Giants at home week four. And yeah. that's it. I cannot I, – I just – I look at the roster and I look at the schedule and I look at the teams they're playing and the sequence that they're playing, and I'm just thinking, man, I don't see it anymore. We used to see it all the time. And you're right. It, this is a culture shock for you, me, and Saints fans all over the place. And you make a great point about the roster because I think it really I would I would say it's more of an indication of how good the roster was the last few years than this being a real concern. Because I think this is probably how the other half lives in the NFL, where you go into camp like the Saints might be doing with a couple of holes on the roster where you're really like, I don't know who's going to start at one of the linebacker spots or I don't know who's going to get the the starting cornerback job opposite Lattimore. That probably goes on in a lot of camps in this modern era with the salary cap limitations and everything. But the Saints have just been so stacked in the past and had so much carryover that, you know, they were just – they were, I think, the exception and not, not the rule. Definitely the exception. There's no question. That's why you, me, many of our uh, contemporaries in the NFL media – Pick the Saints to be a Super Bowl contender, like the the past three years. I mean, it, it's it's there. It was there, and they were there. And unfortunate circumstances <laughs> certainly have hindered that. I don't think everyone thought that they'd be there in seventeen, but eighteen, yes. And we know uh, the bogus call, and but I have no problem saying that. I think the Saints win the Super Bowl if that call doesn't happen. So didn't happen. So there you go, and. Then you just go into the Vikings playoff game, and they came out flat and lost. I mean, then they just lost. Obviously, Drew Brees last year, injuries-wise, we know more now than we did then. And so I feel like they got as far as that they could, even though they were still one of the better teams in the NFL. So I think we are spoiled in that sense, and yet we almost have to reverse our thinking And people aren't going to like to hear this, but 2014, 2015, 2016, they went 7-9, 7-9, 7-9. I think this team, with some breaks, can be above 500. And I think this team is capable of hitting the playoffs. But still, it is – I'm telling you, when I went through and did that roster projection, uh, it really kind of hit me because it's not like they can go out and get a ton of players at this point. They kind of are just who they are. Maybe they can trade a corner for a corner. We talked about that uh, in our last pod, but they kind of just are who they are, Jeff, and it's it's weird to kind of see that right now. I think two things have, have to happen in addition to what, whoever wins the quarterback job playing well. Two things. They, they need a big jump or return to form 
from three of their elite guys, right? Mike Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore, and Cam Jordan. I mean, those guys have to have kind of bounce back seasons uh, and perform because they're three of their best players. And then additionally, I think they need some players like Adam Troutman or Zach Bond, some younger guys, Cesar Ruiz from that from that 2020 draft class. They've got to step up. You know, Troutman has to be really good. He has to be better than Jared Cook, I think. For those kind of things to happen, I think for this team to kind of get back in the playoffs and, and stay at the level they've been at as a contender. Uh, and that's asking a lot because, frankly, you know, it's just as likely that Cam Jordan drops off as it, as it, as it is that he gets better at, at his age and considering he doesn't have Trey Hendrickson on the opposite side now. So I think there's a lot of scary what-ifs that could, that could take this team down. Jeff, I'm going to point squarely at the 2018 draft. You need Marcus Davenport to be a premier guy, and you need Traquan Smith to be a legitimate number two receiver. If you don't have either one of those guys do that, then we're talking Saints go, sounds strange, but seven and ten, six and eleven. Look, I even look at that Jets game, Jeff. We're talking about this. That's week 14. At the Jets, what if Zach Wilson's on fire and they beat him? Like, I, I don't I'm, – I'm leery. I, I just really am leery. And I feel like maybe I wasn't as leery before the draft. And we've, we've had pods and we've both written about the draft and this, that, and the other. And I understand the positions that they went. But of the, say, top three players, and I've done the research and I've written about it, about how often, say, players on those three positions, say, edge rusher, linebacker, corner, how well they play right away. It's a rarity that they come in and are really big difference makers. And so... You're looking around and saying, what's going to happen? And we could talk trade all we want. We could talk, let's go sign someone like Richard Sherman or Golden Tate. But still, this is a different time now. And I'm, I think it really kind of hit me in the last week that I don't know about the Saints team. I mean, we're going to be, we're get, we, it's almost like we have to prepare ourselves for this thing to go south. I don't mean to be, you know me, I, hey. I like to be optimistic, and if I'm a Debbie, if I'm a donkey downer, I'm gonna say it. But like, it's it's not looking good to me. Maybe maybe I changed my mind at the training camp, but it's not looking good to me. I don't, I don't know. Talk me off the ledge, if you can. No, I, I can't. I'm, I'm with you on the ledge. I mean, uh, I'm here. You know, we're in that period of time when there's just a lot of optimism, and uh, I don't want to rain on people's parade, but you know, watching Jameis Winston throw skeleton drills out, you know, in California to his receivers doesn't get me excited. I mean, uh, that, I'm sorry. I mean, that's not that's not going to be what wins games. I mean, he's going to have to do it in a game under pressure, uh, and he's going to have to prove it because he, he, you know, he washed out in his first in his first stop, and uh, he could be the nicest guy in the world and could have that greatest LASIK surgery of all time, uh, but that's not what does it. When you got to be able to play the position, and we're going to find out about him. But I'm in full scale, uh, prove it to me mode with Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. And, you know, I've been on the Taysom train for a long time, but uh, let let, it, let, the, let us do w- really quickly because we are getting up in time. 
talk let's talk a little bit about the Jeff Ireland Q&A Larry what what did you find interesting in there I mean there were a lot of things that were pretty enlightening from him we don't get to hear from him very often so I think that's why people responded the way they did just because he was so candid and because he's kind of the Kaiser Soje of the Saints brain trust right we never get to hear him we hear about him uh so what did you take away from that I took away that they are who they are. They stick to their guns. And you could have said that was a failed strategy, say, before Jeff Allen's got there, because look at the drafts before that, this, that, and the other. And I think it's a testament to people like Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton trusting Jeff Ireland and trusting what he does and his process. And and the way he, the people who he hires, the scouts, this, that, and the other. So I look at it more in that sense. I'm not necessarily looking at it in, all right, prospect here, prospect there, because you and me have talked about it. They see, they're, they're top. Every pick that they made actually makes sense. So I get that. But I think that it strikes me how much they really trust him and how that. I don't know if it's the general manager that he used to be or this, that, and the other, but he's definitely a sharp guy. There's no question about it. And I do feel like, uh, and something you pointed out before, but then you have him on the record talking about the revelation of how small their board was. I mean, that is, it was like micro. <laughs> I'm wondering, once they got past Ian Book, were, were even, uh, say, Landon Young or uh, came on uh, Baker actually on their board, or they just said, hey, we got to take him. So I, I think that's – but how small that board was, uh, like, I, I think that's eye-opening. Yeah, I think most years they, they have between like 130 and 150 players that they have draftable, that they want to draft to be Saints players. And this year he said it was like 120, maybe less. And he didn't use this in the, uh, in the piece, but I talked to him off the, off the record – um, before we, you know, went on the Q&A. And he said when they got to, like, the seventh round, they had, like, 12 draftable players left. That's how shallow the draft pool was for the Saints. This year you had less players overall to begin with. A lot of players, you know, are, are staying in college to play again. So you had fewer prospects, and then the Saints were much more um, stringent in their in their evaluations so they eliminated a lot of people, especially the people that had medical red flags. Uh, that was pretty clear that they weren't going to take chances on those guys. So when they got down to the seventh round, they were they were really down to a, a minimal amount of players, and that will carry over to undrafted free agents. Uh, I don't think this is going to be nearly as strong a undrafted rookie pool uh, as it has been in the past. I don't think we're going to see you know some Deontay Harris type player emerge from this group. Not saying there can't be a few of these guys make the roster because I, I think the roster has a few more holes than past years, but the chances of them finding a real diamond in the rough, I think, are are more remote this year because of the, the lack of depth on the talent. Well, Jeff, what did you make from talking to Jeff? Hey, you're the one who talked to him. Uh, you know, you talked to him about each pick and the set and the other. What, uh, what are the big takeaways that you took away from, from what he had to say? Well, I think it just reinforced what you and I've talked about for the last few years, that they are very much uh, a prototype team. I mean, they stick, like you said, stick to their guns on that. And I think it it should educate Saints fans a little more when these drafts roll around that 
they're not going to take guys that don't fit their prototype, at least high in the draft. You know, they're not going to do it. They're, they're going to stick to their board and take the big guys. That's a Bill Parcells philosophy that Jeff Ireland and Sean Payton believe in. That's, that's the school that they learned football from. And they believe in big linebackers, tall guys, their edge. I thought what he said about Peyton Turner and what they want in a defensive end was fascinating. Yeah, I said, totally you know, agree. Like that's why that's why I've been saying, you know, people are this, that, and the other, you know, chirping about the pick. Look, there's a reason why I wrote about him before because he fit the bill. So I get that they liked him. Like I totally understand that to the end, but Hey, you hear what's being out there and other places had him place somewhere else. But also you also have to remember Jeff that maybe some of the other teams, what if they run a three, four defense? And so he doesn't fit that. So you don't know who people are talking to, but I'm not going to say, all right, this guy's going to be world all be all, but I absolutely understand their vision with him being a big 4-3 D end and someone that could mold into that. Because, look, Cam Jordan wasn't a world beater, but he became that. And I'm not saying he's going to become Cam Jordan, but I, I understand, actually, it's, it's going to be strange to say. I understand that pick more than I understand jumping up to go get Marcus Davenport. I understand that's just where I am, where we are at this point with the roster. Yeah, well, what it becomes apparent is they will go get a player and target him. I mean, they basically say it. We have targets on certain players because they're their kind of guys. I think Landon Young was one of those guys. They traded up to go get him because I think they had a good a good grade on him where they got him. They went and got Paulson Adebo for the same reason. He was basically in their third tier of corners. I think they had him in their top six corners. So in the third round, it makes sense to go and get him. Uh, they were very high on Tyson Campbell from Georgia. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about this on the pod before, but there were two guys in the second round, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, the receiver, and Tyson Campbell, the corner from Georgia, that they were really on fire to try and get on the roster. They wanted to trade up in the second round and try and get them. I know they worked all day on Friday trying to do that. And then those two guys won two at the top of the of the second round. I mean, there just was no way they were going to be able to get up there. Clearly, other teams valued them just as much. So it wasn't like they didn't try to get a corner better than Paulson Adebo. It just the circumstances didn't uh, work out this year. I think that is what ultimately we come away with on this draft, is that some years things work out for you, players fall to you, you're able to make trades, you're able to make the draft work for you. And then there's years like this year, it's frustrating when you're down at the bottom of each round and people just do not want to trade out because of various circumstances with the way the boards fall. And this year, it just didn't work out for the Saints. I think it's also a little bit frustrating probably for the Saints knowing that they are, what, 28th in the draft and playing a first-place schedule. And they see themselves in the mirror and know that they're not a first-place team right now. They know Tampa is the defending world champions, and they're going to play a less tough schedule than the Saints. So, like, it's it's all part of it. I mean, we we know they were all in on everything, this, that, and the other. But 
I think I'm, I'm curious just to see how this season goes. It's, it's really something to where we've done all the outlooks. We've done all the free agency. We've done the schedule, this, that, and the other. And it is the most uncertain we've seen in a long time. Uh, in, that brings intrigue, but that also brings, man, what happened to the Saints from, say, Joe Q consumer, ticket holder? What is going on? So it's it's something that we're basically well past the procurement of talent at this point, and now we're going to have to see what happens. But it is, to me, you add it all up, you add everything that we just talked about, and it is definitely a dicey proposition to – assume that the Saints would be a big-time contender because I think there's so many question marks, obviously quarterback, but everywhere else, it too many questions for me. It's, it's, a, it's a weird feeling. I got one for you, Larry. So I did the, the season preview this year for Lindy's football magazine, and one of, the, uh, one of the little items that we had to fill out was top newcomer. And I waited for the draft to go because I couldn't think of a, a free agent that was a top newcomer. And when the draft came and went, I still didn't feel like I had a really impact newcomer. Who would you go with on this team that is an impact newcomer? I, I, I couldn't find one. You mean Alex Arma didn't do it for you uh, at fullback? He, he didn't fit the bill? The the tight end, was it Nick Vanette or whatever his name is? I was about is? to say Nick Vanette was like on the tip of my tongue too when, when you're asking that. That's like, where we're at. I mean, the, the the defensive end from Kansas City might be their fourth end. I mean, that that's what we're talking about here. I mean, there's no – so there's no influx of, of talent, at least impact talent, it looks like, that is going to give you optimism. So now you're hoping that all the, all the guys that are back from last year are going to be as good or better. That's what you're hoping for. And we all know that just doesn't happen. There's always drop-offs. We saw it last year. And so – uh, you're going to have to hope that that Nick Bond and, like I said, some of those younger players, Marcus Davenport, uh, has breakout. Those guys have to have breakout seasons, I think, to compensate for what has to be a drop off at quarterback. I mean, it just has to be. You, you've lost the greatest player in the history of the franchise. I, I, I don't care if he was 75% of himself. Uh, all the intangibles. How many times did Drew Brees drive the team down the field and score a touchdown on the last drive? And all those things. I just don't think you can expect to replicate that at quarterback. There's a testament for Drew Brees, the fact that they still won 12 games. I mean, come on. Like, (laughs) yeah, give me a break. But uh, you look at it, and you're right. There's no DeMario Davis that has been added. There is no Emmanuel Sanders. There's no Malcolm Jenkins that's been added. It has been Alex Arma, Nick Vanette, and Tano Passignan. Those are your free agent additions. It's bizarre. And you had so many subtractions. So if to answer your question, I think it's Pete Werner. I think he comes in right away and plays middle linebacker. He actually has to. If you look at the middle linebacker spot, my God. You look at the linebacker spot in general, it is question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Outside of Demario Davis, Warner has to come in and play immediately. I don't, I don't care if he's ready or not. He just has to because Vaughn is not a natural middle linebacker. Who else is left? Uh, oh well, you got a bunch of bunch of young guys that we don't know much about. Caden Ellis, right? And, you know, Chase Hansen and 
Andrew Dwell. I mean, that, it's no one's proven there. And that's ultimately who I ended up going with, by the way. I went with Pete Warner because Jeff Ireland basically came out and said he thinks he's the most uh, ready rookie to play. Uh, an advanced player, a guy that played a very high level and started for a number of years. Uh, very smart. So uh, he basically came in and said, this is a guy we're not going to coach up that much. Well, Jeff, we've got an interesting summer coming. Rookie minicamp is this weekend, and then we got OTA starting up. And, of course, minicamp. So we've got an interesting, let's say, month coming before they take a break and then go to training camp. But, uh, of course, we will have all of the coverage here on The Athletic. And, uh, Jeff, you going to take a vacation or what? I mean, I, I feel like, man, you, all you're doing is getting exclusive stuff. Uh, can you can you save some scraps for me? For me, you know, Let, let's go. Come on, dude. You don't need any help. You're you're all over it. Your, your <laughs> roster breakdown was was great as it always is, and and I was looking at it too and saying, this is exactly what I would have gone with. I mean, I don't uh, maybe one or two spots there you could make a case for another, but I mean, uh, it's it's really cut and dry. I think in a lot of positions. So uh, I agree with you, Larry. I think this is going to be while I, we're not probably the most optimistic. Duo, I think we're realistic. You and me, what? You, no, we're, we're realistic, but I also think we agree that in some ways it's going to be fascinating to cover. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this season. Like I do think they're going to win a bunch of games, but how much is a bunch? Well, no, a bunch could be three or twelve. So we'll see. But anyway, uh, but no, Jeff, always great catching up with you, my friend. Uh, of course, we will keep this podcast going throughout the off season as the Saints are going to start working up and ramping up. So. Uh, look, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You jump on the podcast. You can subscribe, get our podcasts, everyone else's podcasts, all of our written work. It's amazing the work we do at The Athletic. Obviously, I'm biased since we work there, but still, it's incredible the work we do. So theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. Jump on. Or if you just want to listen to Bob, that's okay, too. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts jump on there and subscribe. So for Jeff Duncan, I am Larry Holder. Thanks for joining us once again on the Duncan Holder podcast on the Athletics Podcast Network. Podcast Network.